Hi, welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in. But before you listen to the message, we want to celebrate that we have met our match. We were granted a matching grant, and in a month and a half, we made it. So thank you, friends and family, for your generosity. We are eternally grateful. Amen. Today we're finishing our gifted series. Today we're finishing our gifted series. Have you been blessed by it? I hope you have. I hope you have. And so we have saved the most controversial topic for last. Amen. Um, And it may be perhaps the most controversial topic. We are talking about today prophecy. Prophecy. Everyone say, ooh. Yeah, let's get that away. Thank you, man. This front row, you are on it. Um, I appreciate that. We are talking about prophecy. So let me give you just a quick definition. And again, I don't have all the time in the world today. Sometimes, you know, this brings more questions than answers. But I'm going to do my best to kind of lay down a fundamental understanding of what prophecy looks like in Scripture. Uh, Let me give you a a brief definition by author and theologian Sam uh, Storms. He says this, and we won't have it for you on the screen, but just hear this definition out. Prophecy is speaking forth in mere human words. Something that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and often spontaneously revealed to a believer. If I were to simplify prophecy, I would say something like this. The spirit-enabled human report of a divine revelation. That's probably a really complex uh, 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 sentence, but I would call it the Spirit-enabled, a a power given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Apostle Paul categorizes prophecy as one of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, uh, of a human report. So Spirit-enabled, human report of a divine revelation. And so let's pray, and hopefully we'll be able to break that down today. Amen. Heavenly Father, have your way this morning. I pray that you would just uh, be in this place, be in this room, that you would be glorified that the spirit of prophecy lord would be just another opportunity to make christ known um and i pray lord for the kids ministry next door that they would be wild and have a blast and walk away knowing so much more about jesus we honor you we praise you amen and amen if you want to follow along we're going to open in acts chapter 2 we're going to read verses 1 through 4 And verses 14 through 18, um, if you're taking notes, I'll be sure to pause throughout the message today to give you uh, maybe some next steps if you're trying to go home and read a little bit more. Um, But Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and then 14 through 18, uh, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day the Spirit fell. Uh, This is uh, 40 days after uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, Actually, this is 10 days after. After his ascension, so Jesus is crucified. He stays on earth for 40 days, resurrected, and he teaches the disciples. And then he ascends into heaven, but he tells them to wait until they've been filled with power. And so they're waiting around, and all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, in the middle of a packed city, the Spirit falls, and crazy things start happening. And that's where we are launching off today. Amen? Amen. So uh, verse 1 of Acts chapter 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So there were about 120 people packed in a room, kind of like this maybe. Uh, Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them uh, uh, and rested on each one of them. Kind of a weird scene. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Are you all with me? Now let's skip down to verse 14. 
But Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, uh, 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 standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit fell. They're speaking in tongues. And people are surrounding, thinking, what is going on with these people? And so this is Peter standing up to explain what is going on. So but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Verse 15. For these people are not drunk. People are probably looking out and saying, those are some crazy people. They're a little drunk. But he says, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's kind of funny for another time. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel's an Old Testament prophet. So Peter is saying, what you're seeing right now was prophesied by Joel. Verse 17, this is what Joel said. And in the last days, say last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on some people, all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall... Yes, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this text. This text is going to be the launching point to help us understand prophecy in Scripture. Y'all doing okay? So uh, I've heard this section of Scripture referred to as like the day uh, or the democratization of the Holy Spirit. The democratization of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain that. On this day... On the day of Pentecost, a seismic shift took place in redemptive history. One that required Peter to stand up to announce and explain to confused and bewildered bystanders. This was a seismic shift on this day. So Peter stands up, stands up to explain what is going on. And this is what Peter explains. Peter says that we are now entering into a moment in time that was prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament. This moment of time, Peter says, is called the last days. The last days. Now, I want to stop here and just explain last days because many of you, when you hear last days, some of you automatically think of an abstract concept used by like, I don't know, end time fanatics. Are you with me? It's the last days. We're in the last days. Jesus about to come back. Jesus about to come back, right? And praise God. But I want you to know that's not what the last days mean. The last days began at Pentecost. Peter is saying, hey, what's happening right now is the start of the last days. And I want you to know that the last days began at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit falling down on the disciples and will continue until the day Jesus comes back for his church. So they were in the last days, and we are in the last days. Are you with me? Now, theologically, what did this signify? This meant a new era in redemptive history has come. A new era in redemptive history has come. A movement from the old covenant mediated by Moses to now a new covenant, something new is happening that has been mediated by Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And so, so uh, Peter says, we are living in the last days. We have moved from the old covenant, the old way of doing things, the old way of relating to God, mediated to us by Moses. 
And now we are moving into a new covenant, a new way to relating to God, mediated by Jesus Christ. Amen? And so the, the Israelites will, will look back at Moses as a deliverer because he, he, he delivered them through the power of God out of Egyptian slavery. But now Jesus will be the new and greater Mo, uh, Moses, the new and greater deliverer who would take all people out of slavery. Are you with me? Amen. Thank you for the yeah. And so that's what the last days was. It was, this, it was a movement from old covenant to new covenant. And unlike the old covenant, in which in the old covenant, if you're reading the Old Testament, you'll see that there were a select few who would be momentarily filled with the Spirit to accomplish certain tasks. If you read the Old Testament, you would see the Spirit of God would come down upon someone so that they could accomplish a task. It was a select few for select tasks. So unlike the old covenant, this new covenant era, are you ready, would be characterized by all flesh. All flesh, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, all who would place their hope in Jesus Christ. All flesh would be permanently, could be permanently indwelled by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was no longer for a select few, for a select things, but now the Spirit of God, the democratization of the Spirit would come upon all flesh. Young, old, rich, poor, male, female would all have access to this empowering spirit of God. And the spirit of God wouldn't just come upon and leave, but now he would, he would reside those who would put their faith in Jesus. This is part of what the gifted series means. Like the spirit of God. For those of you in this room have put your hope in Christ, the spirit of God lives inside of you. And he empowers you, and he produces the fruit of the Spirit in you, and he, and, and he begins to conform you and mold you into the image of Christ, and he gives you gifts. The result of this universal infilling of the Spirit, according to Acts 2 and Joel and Peter, is this. That the recipients of, of this infilling of the Holy Spirit would receive what? Dreams, visions, and prophetic utterances. That's what the scripture says. It says, there's, it says now this is a new era where all flesh will be filled with the Holy Spirit, will indwell and have this power. And the chief characteristic of this will be your young men dreaming dreams and your old men having visions. And so you have visions and dreams and prophetic utterances that are characteristic of this new covenant era. Man, I don't know about you, but I couldn't help but praise Jesus. Like the life, death, and resurrection of Christ has secured for us not just our eternity, but empowerment to live right now. Yes. It's okay. There's three of us excited about that. But you are empowered by the Spirit, not just to overcome sin and sing kumbaya until Jesus comes back, but you are empowered by the Spirit to leave this place and be the church outside of the Crown Plaza. In fact, 
This was the day, this new covenant era was the day Moses himself longed for. Moses longed for it. If you're taking notes, Numbers eleven twenty nine. look at what Moses said. He said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. That's what Moses said. Moses is probably like, I'm tired of hearing the Lord for y'all. <laughs> would that all of you would be prophets. And then he said, he said that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Moses saw this day coming. Moses longed for this day. And so what Moses looked forward to was a day when prophecy and, and the infilling of the spirit would be a normative expression for all God's people to experience. Now, as wonderful as that sounds, doesn't that sound wonderful? Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, and all of the shades in the middle. Praise God that the Holy Spirit would fall on all flesh. And the dreams and visions and prophecies would be something that the church would have, that all of us would have access to. Isn't that amazing? I think it is, but, he, but maybe some of you in here are like, eh, not so much. And I probably understand why, because people are crazy. <laughs> Can I get an amen there? <laughs> like, in one hand, it's great that the Spirit falls on everyone, and everyone, you know, gets to get a gift, and we, the church, but people are crazy. Y'all are crazy. Some of you in this room are real crazy. <laughs> on June 8th, 1978, after what was called an extended time of, of meditation and prayer in the sacred rooms of the temple, the presiding prophet over the Mormon church, Spencer Kimball, and the 12 apostles of the Mormon church changed a previously long-held Mormon doctrine that taught that black skin was a sign of being cursed by God. And therefore, because of this doctrine, black people could not hold positions of leadership and enter even into the holy temple. But after meditation and prayer, the prophets and the apostles of the church came out. And they changed the doctrine. So apparently, they had been mistaken all these years. Or, or maybe God changed his mind. Somebody got that. Either way, this speaks of the potential dangers and abuses of normalizing prophecy. Are you with me? And Christians, don't think you're immune. Political prophets. I mean, can I just give you some recent annoyances? <laughs> Where are all the political prophets at? You remember that? And I don't just mean that, but, you know, there were several people pro proclaiming Trump to be a kind of biblical deliverer. And, and that he would that he would he would go on and he would win an election. There were people who were prophesying and saying, "Please, if you voted for Trump, don't take this. This is just what happened." Right. Or how about the COVID prophets? We had a lot of them. I had a lot of them on my Facebook page, and they weren't even like people far off. There's people I know. One day, take me to coffee, and I'll tell you all the conversations I had. They were wild. Right, regularly declaring the end of the pandemic, only to see things continue to worsen. And it was during that time that I had an idea. I think we should make a rule. Here's the rule. If you make a bold public prediction and get it wrong, you should repent publicly. You should apologize publicly. And then I'll maybe keep quiet for like a year. <laughs> and then you can try again. 
because folks would get it wrong and then they were like, oh man, you know, it just hurt and it was just, you know, and they would like change it up. <laughs> Keep moving the goalposts. And I'm just like, we should have a rule. If you get it wrong, you're bold and you're in public and you get it wrong, you should be bold and publicly apologetic. You should repent and you should keep quiet before you prophesy again. Okay, moving on. Better than getting stoned, am I right? Or, <laughs> let me see. Just felt like that was a great. <clears throat> but here, here, listen, 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 hear me out. If prophecy is normalized among the church in the new covenant era, right? And I believe... I believe it is, then how can anyone be sure that that supposed word from God is really God? Otherwise, everyone can get up and just, I don't know, say whatever you want to say. Right? So if prophecy is normalized, then how do we know when someone has a word from the Lord? Are you with me? And so I want to move from this democratization of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit falls on all flesh, and all flesh is filled, and the normal characteristic of this infilling is the people of God being gifted with gifts of the Holy Spirit and using these gifts, and some of those gifts being prophecy, then how do we keep from crazy folks abusing it? And can I just say this? <laughs> I think because we're a gospel-centered church, all of us should say we're crazy. Why? Because we are all sinners. We are all flesh. And I know for the sake of the joke, it's fun to make fun of other people, but you should probably put yourself, because you are, all of us in here, our hearts can be wicked and deceitful and manipulative. Therefore, all of us in here can be dead wrong. So, Philip, on one hand, you're saying we normalize prophecy. On the other hand, you're saying we're all crazy. Like, what, how, what, what, what gives? And so, I want you to know that the church has different responses, biblical responses to this concern, this fear that if everyone could just prophesy, then what's to say someone saying, hey, the Lord said this, and he's contradicting what he said in his scriptures. So what is it? Well, the church has typically handled this in two different ways. I'm going to give you both views, um, as I typically do, and then just kind of share you my thoughts. Are you good? Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> the first one, and we've talked about this before, and I'm not a huge fan of these categories because like there are like third categories and these nuances but these are just helpful when we're just trying to understand and teach the first one and we've taught about this before is cessationism right and if you just think of the word cease what does cease mean it means stop and so there are folks in the church god-fearing bible-believing christ-centering gospel-proclaiming people who believe this are you with me so we're not saying so they believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. They've stopped. There's no more need for them. Prophecies cease once the revelation of God's word was given. Right? We have the word of God. It's inerrant and it's authoritative and there's no need for any other words. Are you with me? And they're going to cite scriptures. And I don't have time to go super deep, but I just want to give you a general overview. They're going to cite scriptures like Ephesians 2.20 if you're taking notes. Well, what does 2.20 tell us? 2.20 tells us that the foundation of the church has been laid by the apostles and the prophets. That's what Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verse 20, sa 2, verse 20 says. What does that mean? It means the apostles of Jesus Christ, those who walked with Jesus, Peter, John, James, James Paul, right? These are the apostles, right? And then the Old Testament prophets, what do they do? They wrote scripture, 
And what we have now is scripture. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament, the words of the prophets, the words of the apostles. And, and they became the, the scripture. They've been canonized. They've been tested and examined. And they are what we call the word of God. And so if we have scripture, that's the foundation. And Ephesians 3.20 tells us that they laid the foundation. And so what the argument here with the cessation is there's no need for prophecy. There's no need for these extraordinary gifts because the gifts were a part of laying the foundation. And so now the church just builds off of that. Pastor, teacher, are you with me? If you're not, I apologize. And to be honest, I understand. If prophecy is normalized... What's to stop anyone from proclaiming to hear from God and to challenge the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? And although I wholeheartedly agree with their concern, I don't believe their position best reflects Acts 2 or really the rest of the New Testament. I don't believe that. And so that moves us to our second position. We move from some people who just are cessationists who think just the gifts, including prophecy, have ceased. There's no need for them anymore to continuationism. Well, what does that mean? Continuing. Some believe that they stop. Some believe that they continue. And so let me explain to you the position of continuationism. Though the foundation has been laid, the belief is that the prophetic gift continues and should be a normative part of the body of Christ. Here's how I believe that that is demonstrated in the scripture. I'm going to give you just some breakdown here. This is how I believe that to be true. Number one, here's one thing that the scripture demonstrates. That divine revelation is infallible. Infallible means without error. Divine revelation, that means when God, who is divine, reveals himself. Anytime God speaks... That there's no error. It's pure. It's true. It's 100% accurate. Are you with me? Why? Because it comes directly from God. Now watch this. Though divine revelation is infallible, human interpretation and application can be fallible. You with me? So God never gets it wrong, but we can get it wrong. Because though God is infallible, we are fallible. God is divine. We're human. Now, here's where I want to be really, really clear. The word of God is divine revelation. There's no argument here. Some people, and again, we can go out for coffee, and I love to have this conversation. I just don't have time. But some people say, well, wait a minute. Didn't men write the word? Or, you know, how, it, the scripture is divine revelation, authoritative, infallible. And let me just give you a couple of things. Paul called scripture, he said, uh, it's, it's breathed out by God, inspired. Right? Peter, Peter described the authors of scripture Right? He says this, they were those who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we protect the scripture as the divine revelation of God. Amen? Now here's, here's, here's the, the, the shift here. I want you to see it. Here's the key. New covenant prophecy can contain human error. 
So anyone who speaks a prophecy or claims to have the gift of prophecy, are you ready? Must submit themselves to the authority of the revealed word of God. So the word of God is divine revelation and infallible. And it stands true. And if anyone in this room thinks to be a prophet or thinks to have a prophecy, the prophecy that is given through them must submit under the word of God. Because it doesn't matter like how holy you are or not, there's error. You're human. Are you with me? How did I come to this conclusion? Again, if I had three hours, I'd love to tell you. But I don't, so I'm going to give you, a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you something. <laughs> I'm probably not going to move on from this. How, how do we come to this conclusion? Well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. If you're taking notes, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, and he's giving them instruction. I want you to pay careful attention because I think that this section of Scripture is really valuable and really important. Number one, it says what? Do not quench the spirit well how can we quench the spirit what does verse 20 say do not despise prophecies now watch for it so some of you stop right there like ha there it is that's it that's my proof text i'm going wild i got words for everybody you get a word you get a word everybody gets a word but what but continue verse 21 says what but test everything but what? Test everything. And then, and then once it's been tested, and you were good, you're on it. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. This is Paul's way of saying, eat the meat, spit out the bones type of deal. Are you with me? Paul warns the church in this text of two equal yet opposite errors when it comes to the gift of prophecy. Some of you reject it totally. Some of you accept it unquestionably. Are you with me? Some of you reject it completely out of fear that there are some crazies out there, and I understand what that fear. And some of you receive it completely. I can't tell you how many times people are like, Pastor Phil, I got this, you know. And I'm not, look, okay, I don't want to put anybody down. There's some stuff I think is worthy of talking to, but there's some stuff that is just egregious, and people are scared by it. Are you with me? So, so let, me talk, let me talk to those in this room who are tempted to totally reject prophecy. Because I know y'all are in here. You ready? The word quench paints a picture of a fire being doused with water. Okay? The word quench paints a picture of a fire being doused with water. Sadly... Paul is saying that it is possible for churches to restrain the Spirit's activity. Not because the Spirit is powerless, but it's possible for the church to quench by allowing fear or skepticism to keep them from moving in the gift of prophecy. And if there's anyone in this room who thinks Paul is referring to the Scriptures as prophecy, if Paul was referring to the Scriptures, there would be no need to test it. So why is Paul saying test it? Okay. So those in this room tempted to lean towards cessationism due to prophetic abuses or the possibility of human error, be careful you are not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Because according to the New Testament prophecy, according to the New Testament, prophecy can edify. 
It can console, it can encourage, and it can build up the body of Christ. Let me give you an illustration. And I don't have my timer up here, so keep me, uh, keep me good here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to put it for you up here on the screen. An illustration of prophecy. What good can prophecy do? 1 Timothy chapter 1. Are you ready? 18 through 19. This is what Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy at times can battle with discouragement and fear. And I get it. I'd like to say I was a young pastor. This probably would apply to me 10 years ago. Um, but maybe he was in his 40s. Who knows? He says this, look, look at what Paul tells Timothy. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in according with the prophecies previously made to you. I don't think these were scriptures given to Timothy. I think these were specific prophetic words the Holy Spirit gave to Timothy, some kind of encouragement, some specific understanding into Timothy's uh, ministry. And look what Paul says, he says, Timothy, my child, in accordance with prophecies previously made about you, uh, uh, that by them, what does it say? You may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. So what can prophecy do for the church? It can help us wage war. It can help us hold on to our faith. It could keep us from being disturbed or discouraged while we're following and trusting Jesus. Like, why would we want to take that away? I was having recently, um, I, um, I'm a part of a, an organization that really just coaches church planters in the Bay Area. And uh, I was having a conversation with a husband and wife who had just planted in Sonoma a few months ago. And as they told me about their journey, they came from San Diego to Sonoma. And they had never thought they would be in Sonoma. They knew they were called to plant a church, but they knew it was San Diego. They knew it was San Diego. Um, except that it was not. <laughs> it was Sonoma. But because they lived in San Diego, because they did ministry in San Diego, they just assumed that, that, that that's where they were called. But what happened was they began to have like a series of dreams. I know for some of you, this is where you check out. Like, ah, that's a little weird, right? And in these dreams, they began to see these hillsides, these rolling hillsides, and they begin to see these just different elements. And they're like, I wonder where in San Diego that's it. Like, we feel like this from the Lord. Like, maybe we're called, like, really, really far out on the edge of San Diego. And then their, their, their mother-in-law began to have dreams. And, and so they found themselves just out in Sonoma one day. And both mother-in-law and daughter looked and saw what they saw in their dreams. I'm like, wait a minute. This looks exactly like, and I don't have time to give you all the details, but I, this looks exactly like these dreams that we've been having. As they begin to pray, they begin to seek the Lord. And again, they, I'm giving you kind of the Reader's Digest. They realized that it was not San Diego God was calling them to. It was Sonoma. Here's the point. Two years later, they moved, and they began to enter into the life of the city. And they were living in Sonoma a year or two before they actually planted. And they, could, they tell you as they moved, they began to have the most discouraging things take place. They described it as one of the worst years of ministry in their lives. And listen, had they not recalled the dreams... They would have remind themselves 
they would not have been, they, had they not recalled the dreams, they probably would have left the mission field because it was too difficult. But because God confirmed and spoke, are you with me? They stood put. I want to give someone an encouragement. Um, sometimes decisions get second-guessed or, or life gets difficult. But what can keep us going, what can reassure us and keep us fighting the good fight of faith is recalling those re revelatory words that were given to us. And I also want to say some of you in here have let go of or completely forgotten words that were spoken to you. Some of you specifically about ministry. And at some point you let them go. But even though you let them go, God has not. And the Spirit is reminding you, maybe even today, to stop running and revisit and rehearse and possibly pray some of those words back into your consciousness. I want to finish as we're getting ready to finish here um, with unquestionable acceptance. Because we talked about don't quench the Spirit, right? We talked about don't be the one that totally denies prophecy because it can be a source of encouragement it can be a source of strength uh, but I also want to talk about don't be the unquestionable acceptance person either though warned not to reject prophecy Paul also tells us don't be gullible don't be naive are you with me and so what I want to do as we finish is just give you a test four things you can Four things that you can walk away with today and say, if someone ever gives me a word or if I want to look at a word in the past, or these are just four things that I can review, four things I can pray through that can help me discern if this is of God or not. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. Number one, this is your plumb line, Scripture. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Amen. A lot of people like want to bypass the sermon and get straight to like some sort of like mysterious experience. It's like the Holy Spirit actually wrote the scripture. So there's nothing more spiritual you can do than preaching the scripture. And I want you to know that he never contradicts himself. Amen. And I want you to know that scripture, not prophecy, is the primary and normative way by which God reveals himself to us. Amen. Amen. Some of you just want a word. You want a word, you want a word, you want a word, you want a word. I want you to know the normative and primary regular way that God speaks to you is through the scripture. In fact, God would rather you be conformed into his image than just tell you what to do. The goal is to get the mind of Christ in you. So you can think like Christ, love like Christ, look like Christ, live like Christ. And so you must feed yourself with the word. That You must meditate on the word, pray the word, eat the word, write the word down, take notes. So that you're so full of the word that when a time for a decision comes, you're making a decision with the mind of Christ. And so you're not going to get a prophetic word every day, all the time. But if you rarely get one, if one does get one, it's important for you to be able to think about it through the mind of Christ. I wish I can go faster. I, I wish I can go longer in there, but I can't. Number two, and I'll be done in a second, guys. Confirmation. 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 Number one, scripture. Number two, confirmation. A prophetic word typically should never catch you off guard. In fact, it should in some ways align with how God has already been working in you. It should align with what God has already been saying to you in your life. 
In fact, the people who are most gullible and susceptible to foolishness or even being led astray are those who are not engaging in rhythms of the word. So if you want to protect yourself from madness, you want to protect yourself from fear, then you should be just consuming the scriptures, praying the scriptures, having the mind of Christ. Number three, and we got one more and we're good. Counsel. Counsel. What do I mean by that? Another way we could put it is this. Seek the wisdom, the community that God has given you. Seek the wisdom of the community that God has placed you. That's why it's so important to be a part of a body of Christ. If you ever get a word and you're confused or you're unsure, then get around people that are mature in Christ. Pastors, leaders, elders, mentors, mamas and papas in the faith that will come and pray with you and inspect and examine the word. Because sometimes the word could be accurate but still wrong. Oh, y'all, you ain't ready for that one. Sometimes, because you think that the devil don't have power neither. As if the devil, Satan's magicians can't turn rods into snakes. And so you could get something accurate, but not God. And the worst thing you can do is move you further away from where God has you. And last thing, and team, you can make your way up. Glory, 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 glory. Let me ask you this. In the word that you're given, who's being glorified? Who's being glorified? Is it all about you? I see many so-called prophets giving out so-called prophecies that are positing and encouraging Caleb, right? Just kidding, that just felt right. That are positive, and Caleb's great, by the way. Positing, encouraging, and uplifting, but have nothing to do with Christ or his kingdom. And while I do believe that God does give words regarding our career, amen? Regarding uh, uh, God will give words about your goals, your finances, your dreams. I often listen for how God might be using these elements as an opportunity to glorify him. And if the word is making me feel good, but it's not pointing me back to God, then it's probably something that's trying to get in my flesh. I could preach on that all day. So when I get a word, it's not just, man, you're so good at this, and God, blah, 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 and you're going to do this, and you're going to have this, and you're going to run, and you're going to get that house. And you... I, I, what part of this is encouraging me to give glory to God? What part of this is making Jesus king? What part of this is taking into consideration my conformity into the image of Christ? What part of this word is encouraging me, consoling me, giving me wisdom and strength to live for the glory of God and not for myself? What part of this is empowering me to leave this place so that I can be a light at my job? I can be a light in my school. I can be, if I get a new house or whatever you're talking how am I going to use that to give God glory? And if God's glory isn't there, I don't want it. Because the worst thing you can do is get something that God's not in. And so I'll leave you with Revelation 19.10. It says this, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. So John here, the revelator, is wanting to worship an angel because he's so overwhelmed by what he's seeing. And the angel's like, No, 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 not me. I'm not the one. He says, you, might not, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to what? The testimony of Jesus. He says this, worship God. And finally, for what? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
the prophetic word, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for you. They're not for you to walk around and act like you're bigger, you're better, you're greater. They're for you to go low and to wash feet just like Jesus. They're not for you to go out there and do better at your job and do better. It's for you to build the kingdom, build up the body of Christ. This is why gifted series, it, it, you know, when you think about gifted, you think about you. <laughs> so gifted. But gifted is not for you. And I'm going to end here. The last thing I want you to know is that you've been given gifts not for yourself. And so what a travesty it is for you to be sitting on gifts and not using them to love one another, to build one another up, to expand the kingdom of God. We're in the Bay Area, y'all. We're not going anywhere. I want more people to know Jesus. I want more people to see me living out my life. I want people to know Jesus. I want people baptized. I want, I, it doesn't matter if they go to my church or not. I want more churches planted. I want people, I want people coming in here not just looking at the singers and the platform ministries. I want God, I want the body of Christ to be moving in their gifts, glorifying God. We got work to do. That's why I planted. Otherwise, we'll just go home. But I know you don't want to. I know you feel that call of mission. And so I want to end this gifted series by just saying, how are you using the gifts that God has given you to glorify God? And I don't want to shame you because Jesus has took all the shame. <laughs> Jesus on the cross took all the shame, all our disobedience. Everyone who might be feeling disobedient in this room, guess what? Christ was crucified for your disobedience. Christ was so obedient. He was so obedient. And so how can his obedience given to us, how can that inspire you not to be condemned or not to feel fear? Some of us are afraid. Some of us are scared. Man, it's not a scary thing to do things for Christ. What a beautiful, glorious, worthy mission to serve and die for my king. What a beautiful thing to live my life for my Savior, to give it all away for his glory and his honor. And it doesn't have to be a church planter or someone on stage. Just dying for Christ so that he would be glorified is a beautiful, worthy adventure. And he is so good and he is so faithful. He's worthy of it all. Let us worship him. Lord God, I just thank you so much that we are in a space, Heavenly Father, that recognizes um, how awesome you are and that, Lord, um, you are perfect in all your ways. You could do whatever you want, and yet you have chosen to use ordinary, broken, not perfect people to bring about your kingdom, your glory, to represent your love. And Lord, even though we are imperfect, we don't get it right, um, you still, Holy Spirit, allow us the opportunity to be a part of what it is that you're doing. And we are so grateful for that. We are so grateful for that. Believe in looking like Jesus. And again, we don't do that perfect, but looking like Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, as a Christian, what we try to do is we try to think, how can I serve others well today? 
how can I, how can my service to them demonstrate the love of Jesus? What does it look like to lay down self and think of others and make a difference? And this is why we uh, have spaces for people to get plugged in, um, not because here at Inspire, we use people to build programs, but because programs build people. And what I mean by that is, um, one of the greatest ways to discover, there's several, one of the greatest ways to discover um, community and your giftedness is when we come together and with one mission in mind, which is Jesus Christ, we serve his body for his glory to be able to connect with those that are standing outside waiting to connect with you. And we would love for you to go and to meet them. They would love to help you explore what it means to get plugged in, um, what it means to use your gift. And for those that are already plugged in, you might want to know what does it mean for me to use my gift in this area? And I'm here and I'm serving, but I would love to explore what it means to use my gift in that. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dismiss. And would you just take a moment to go greet those kind people that are there waiting for you? And so that way you can be a part of what it is that God is wanting to do, not just in you, but through you to make a difference. Amen? Amen. Um, so we're going to pray, dismiss, and the worship team is still going to continue to sing, uh, but, we, but we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do. You are great and mighty and worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Cannot wait to see you till next week. Hey, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to continue to bless the ministry financially, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.